0: are working our way through the book of Romans and we're in the second half of chapter 13 now where Paul leads us to think about something we do not often enough think about. And I'm convinced if I could stir it up today by God's spirit and get you to think about it more and I would even go so far as to say get you to even consider obsessing over it. That's right. It would change how you live your Christian life. Did I set it up big? Yeah. Go with me to Romans 13. We're going to read verses 8 to 14. And let me see if you can pick up on it for yourself. Let me see if you sense it. And if you see what he is doing. What he is introducing now into our thinking. Because remember this whole section that started in Romans 12 verse 1. Is all about let's do this. If God did all this and it was 11 amazing chapters, how would you live it out? What would it look like? What would people who believe Romans one to 11 live like? Romans 13, beginning in verse eight. Oh, no one, anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, do this, if if, if you believe this, then do this, knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, did you see it? Do you see what he's introducing here? Two things, I believe. First, Paul just punches a great big hole, punches a great big hole right in the middle of our temporal, time-bound thinking that what we see now and have now and are doing now is what's most important and is going to last forever forever. Tomorrow is going to be nothing more than an extension, more of the same of today. Tomorrow, more of the same. Tomorrow, more, more. And he's like, not true. Not true. Not true at all. And secondly, he moves this simply from an argument of a way to live because of a list of rules and points us back to a person, Jesus Christ, as the very centerpiece of how and why. Would you love this way? That you would love... Remember, we've talked about it in two sermons now. We're talking about a love that's radical, fierce, willing to risk. You give, expecting nothing in return. Why would you live that way? Why would you love that way? Why would you be that different, that radical, that loving? You see, at the very heart of Christianity... He's moving us back to, at the very heart of Christianity is not a system. It's a savior. And it's not about rules and regulations pressing on the outside of you and God's law breathing down your neck saying, do this, try harder, do this, try harder. This is going to help some of you. The very heart of the gospel and Christianity is a relationship, a loving, living, personal relationship relationship with Jesus Christ. That is so different. Laws and rules and regulations pressing on the outside of you, that's religion. You grab somebody's list and you can get different lists from different churches and different people and surround yourself with some of the people that have the same list and say, let's do this. That is not what Paul's doing here. When he says, let's do this, he's still on that same theme of loving radically, but then he begins to tell us, how would you do this? And you're going to see he doesn't point you back to rules. He doesn't point you back to the law. He doesn't point you back to regulations. Why? Because it doesn't work. doesn't work. And so in verses 11 to 14 in particular, what Paul is doing is he gives us a dramatic wake-up call from the constant press and distraction. It's almost like a magnet, isn't it? Is not this world and this life almost like a magnet that just pulls you down to the right here, right now, right here, right now, right here, right now. I can't even think about eternity, future. And it's a dramatic wake-up call. And, but Paul isn't introducing a new subject. Please understand, Paul is still walking us through this big theme. From Romans 12, verse 1 on, it is all about love, love, love. Love, how do you live out great doctrine of what God's done for you? And how do you love radically like this? And what he's doing in a most dramatic way now is it's almost like he pops open some smelling salts to jar you and stir you and says, sit up, wake up and grab hold of a motivation for living and loving this radically that is so much bigger and better then you surrounding yourself with enough of thou shalt not Bible verses and hunkering down and finding other people that are committed to that same approach of thou shalt not. And let's do this. Because let me say something. In a group this size, there's maybe some of you, dozens of you, that have already found out what I'm about to say next. I bet you have. And you're wondering, what is wrong with me? Just grabbing hold of enough thou shalt not Bible verses and hunkering down to try real hard and find others trying trying real hard can only take you so far before you crash and burn and start all over again. And crash and burn and start all over again. And if you do it long enough, you just might give up altogether saying, and I've heard it. Been a pastor 30 years, I tried Christianity. It doesn't, say it. it, doesn't work. Let me agree with you. Surprised you, huh? It doesn't work without Jesus. It doesn't work without Jesus. Oh, it falls apart without Jesus. If you just turn this into religion, and I know it's tricky because the Bible's got a lot, of, a lot of commands, a lot of instructions, But listen, there's a hero in the midst of this book. There is someone on center stage. There is a person. If systems could have saved us, God would have never sent his son to take on flesh and come into this world. You need a savior. I need a savior. And Paul is pointing us back to the savior. The savior. The savior. If you lose sight of what's at the very heart of the gospel in Christianity, which is a living, loving personal, real, vital relationship with Jesus Christ as the lover of your soul, it all just falls apart because there's way too much of you in the middle of it. So here's what I want to do. Let's talk about what's at the heart and center of the gospel and Christianity. And to talk about it, I believe these pa- these verses actually fit with a context of anticipation and preparation and something big is coming so you ought to live differently now in light of that day I think it's fair to set it up in the context of a wedding because when you think wedding you think anticipation celebration preparation for what is the most loving relationship that God has given us in this world I know it's a fallen broken world marriage as I say, you're like, you're kidding me. Yes, marriage, marriage. That's the only thing we have in this world that he says, that's oneness. That's, that's a demonstration of Christ in the church in union, even in its fallen, broken, sinful state. That's what he gives us as the most, most loving relationship. Not mother, daughter, mother, son, marriage. And here's why I want to do that. Kind of self-serving. Because this is fresh on my mind. Because we are planning a wedding. Because, Lord willing, my oldest daughter, Lauren, is getting married this summer. So this is fresh on my mind, this whole anticipation, preparation, celebration. Lord willing, she'll be married to a young man named Craig, whom we love dearly, dearly. I could take the rest of the hour and talk to you about Craig, but I won't. (laughs) Love him. Always an answer to prayer. I got to that page in my prayer journal. I've been praying for my girls, that husband. He's got it all going on. I was like, oh, my goodness. Look, I prayed for that. Ding. I prayed for that. Ding. I prayed for that. Didn't even pray for that. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, God, thank you. Gives me great hope for the rest of them. You know, you start to think, where is he going to come from? I don't see too many guys like the guy I'm praying for. Oh, God's good. But I digress. In this planning oh my goodness, our lives have changed since May 9th, 2015, when Craig asked Lauren to marry him. Our lives were just launched into a buzz of excitement, right? If you've ever planned a wedding or been engaged, then you know we're wide awake. We're leaning forward. We're looking. We're planning. We're talking. We're laughing. No one has to say, hey, it's been a while since we talked about the wedding coming up. Let's do that now. It's like, Like, could we talk about something else? No, I don't want to talk about something else. How can we weave this into every moment of every day? There's a flower. There's a wedding. The sky is blue. There's a wedding and her eyes are blue. Oh, I could go on. It's just like, oh, there's a wedding. We find every and any reason to get off on this. If you know anything about it, it changes what you think. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you spend your time. It changes how you relate to other people around you. Because here's how I would say it to you. You start living every day in light of that great day that's coming. You start living every day in light of that great day. It's like everything gets filtered through that now. And everything is measured and gauged by that now. How much time do we have left with the things we need to do? How much money do we have left? How much more needs to be saved or spent? How many more decisions need to be made in preparation for that day? There's a lot to it, a lot more than I knew. The dress has to be purchased, selected, purchased, fitted. Big deal, big, big deal, bigger than I knew. My sons both needed suits. They look terrible. They don't have suits that fit. Now they do. I need wedding shoes. I got shoes, but I want new ones. So I got, I got myself some wedding shoes I'm busting out. The venue has to be selected and reserved Interviewed people regarding food and then choose one and, and reserve that. Select a photographer and reserve. Choose the wine. Invitations have to be sent out and DJ has to be booked because there will be dancing. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bust the move of the universe. You just thought I had moved. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wedding moves. God has found my daughter a husband moves. Oh. Uh, It's building. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I feel it. (laughs) I feel it. It's right down there. And I'm wondering, I'm going to watch myself. Like, what will this look like? (laughs) Bottom line is you start paying attention to your calendar like never before. Everything gets framed up in the context of that. That becomes the backdrop for everything else that's going on in your life. And it's almost like, These thoughts are are never far from you. They're right on the edges of your mind, ready to leap up and fill every moment with joy and anticipation. Now, stay with me. I know you're humoring me. But here's what I believe. What I have described is exactly what this passage is saying every Christian should be living like. There's a day, that day. And it's sooner than you think. And you have a bridegroom who's coming for you. You've been chosen. You are loved. He's preparing a place for you. He's coming back for you. Wedding theme. So let me show you what this would look like. If you were to start living, and you should as a Christian, but if you get a hold of this passage like I hope you will, if you were to start living with a save the date mentality, I got a bridegroom coming. I'm loved. What would it look like? Number one, here's the first thing that would kick in. You would start loving like he's coming. I didn't make a mistake there. I didn't mean to say living like he's coming. I meant what I said. You would start loving like he's coming. Because that's where Paul starts us in verse 8. He says, Make loving others rather than trying to keep the commandments your focus. Really, what's going on there in verse eight and verse 10, if you look at it, form bookends around all the thou shalt nots. Notice how he talks about loving others and then he talks about thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not bear fault. You can go down that path of just thou shalt not thou," but then he comes back to love others as yourself and that would fulfill the law. In other words, and we're not talking about a fluffy empty, shallow, love, that word has been so just exhausted. I'm talking about biblical love. Giving for the needs of another, expecting nothing in return, fierce love. He basically says, let me, let me simplify it for you. And he knows we need this help. Remember the li- religious leaders pressed Jesus himself with this and said, we got all these commandments. There were 613 Old Testament commandments and the religious leaders in the day thought they would help everyone out by adding hundreds more. And said, I know it's hard to keep up with. You don't want to ever break that. So why don't you just not ever even do this? And if you don't want to do that, go ahead and just never do this. People were so confused. Remember when they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that question? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he didn't stop. He said, the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. Say it with me. As yourself. And Jesus said, On this hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you would do that, you wouldn't break any of the commandments. So he gives you a new focus. Love, love. But that introduces a fair question. How are you going to love like that? If you've lived a while in a marriage or in a home or with a roommate or with a boss or with a co-worker or with a next door neighbor, maybe you found this out. It's hard to love people. It is hard. Some are even harder than others, but it is hard to consistently love people. You start shutting it down. But here's what I want you to think about. When you know, and that's what he's telling us in this passage, you've got a bridegroom coming back. When you know that you are already loved and you have no Doubt, you've been chosen, you are accepted, you are, and he loved you when you were unlovely, the most unlovely, enemies, strangers, foreigners. He loved you. How do I know he loved me? He died for you, rose again, is preparing a place, is coming back, has already given you a robe of righteousness. You don't have to earn his favor, win his favor, keep his favor. You can't shake his love off you. Oh my goodness, when you know that, it frees you to love other people. And here's why. Because you don't so desperately need their love back. Isn't that not what shuts it down so often? Because we're measuring, I don't want to give more than I'm getting. In fact, I want to make sure I do this in a way that I get a little more back than what I'm giving out. And I'm watching. We're so busy making sure we're getting love that we're not giving it. When you know you're loved, and here's the other thing. What is it that shuts it down? Fear of rejection. What if I give like this and open myself up and I'm rejected? Well, you know already you're accepted. I'm accepted. I don't need their approval. I don't need their favor. I don't need their acceptance. So don't hear me saying, and so it doesn't bother me at all. It still hurts. It's still disappointing. It's still awkward listen to me when you know you have a bridegroom who loves you shows you is coming back for you delights in you is preparing a place for you the rejection of other people is not devastating Thank you, Lord. big difference big difference you can begin to love and risk and give because i'm not loving to get loved back i am already loved and so here's the thing you need to understand from Romans 11 at the end, as he moves into Romans 12, from that point forward, what Paul was wanting to do is say, now, woo, in light of this kind of big doctrine, for 11 chapters now, of, of you were a sinner, but he has saved you and justified you by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. nothing. You can't work for it. You can't lose it. You don't have to earn it. You don't merit it. In light of that, how would you live? If you really believed this, if it really got down in you, if you really soaked in it, if you really got a hold of this, if this really saturated your mind and you begin to believe that's talking about you, how would you live? What would it look like? That's what he's doing in these chapters now. And here's what, here's the mistake that people make all the time. what you would do because you see how much he loves you is you would go back to the law and now you would really try hard because you say for crying out loud he did that for me I owe him a debt I owe him a debt I owe him a debt I gotta try harder I gotta try harder that's not where Paul points us he doesn't take us back to the law he makes the focus Jesus Christ your bridegroom commenting on this passage John Piper says this Paul guides us to say, now, I will continue to make my focus Jesus Christ every day. And I will look to him for everything my soul craves. And from my union with Christ. Look at me. That's marriage talk. He's not just your friend. He's not just your advocate, your lawyer, your, those are all metaphors the Bible uses. But he's your husband, he's your bridegroom who's coming for you. And based on my union with Christ, nurtured hour by hour by focusing on Christ, my great Savior. And here's what's missing for some of you and is the real problem my great Savior and my infinite, say it, treasure. I will love people. I love people. Christ will be my focus, love will be my fruit. Do you know there are some things in life that when you just go after it, you don't get it, but when you focus on something else, that that you wanted shows up? That's what he's saying. Some of you, you want to be more loving? You want to love other people? Focus on Jesus and be overwhelmed and never get over his love for you and his closeness to you and you're not alone and you're not rejected and you are accepted and watch the fruit of love start to show up in your life. This whole, I got to be more loving. I'm trying to love somebody. I'm going to do it. This week, I'm going to do it. I'm going to love somebody. But we're focusing on that unloving person. It just gets harder and harder and harder. Or we're focusing on ourselves. Focus on Jesus. And love just might become your fruit. You say, Brad, is this a new idea where all of a sudden it's like, what an idea. Don't go back to the law, but look at Jesus. It's not a new idea. He took us there in Romans 7. Because Paul is a master communicator. He had the equivalent of two PhDs. He's great at reasoning through things. And he knew already. He anticipated. I've made such a big deal of salvation and justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Somebody's going to say, what in the world do we do with the law now? What about the law? In Romans 7, he answered it. Let's go look at it again. Go to Romans chapter 7. We were there a few years ago. (laughs) Romans chapter 7. Let's connect the dots. I know it's been a while, but Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, She'll be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be, if you have the new King James, say it with me, married to another Even to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Married. Not just, oh, he's a good friend now. Oh, he's a great advisor. Oh, he's a... Married. You came into this world married to the law. You didn't have to choose that. That's how you showed up. Bound. Slave to Satan and the law in your own flesh. But when you put your trust in Christ, that means when he died, you died to the law. And you not are just dead to the law, To like, let's try to do better. You are married to another. He's your bridegroom. He's your lover. Married. 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 Paul points us back to the risen, living, loving, glorious All sacrificing, I love you, I accept you, I've chosen you, I died for you, I rose for you, I'm preparing a place for you and I'm coming back for you, Jesus. What else might show up? There's something else that kicks in. If you start living with a save the date mentality and I am loved and chosen and I have a bridegroom who's coming, oh, listen, you'll start living like he's coming soon. Soon. And all the New Testament points us in that direction. Soon, it's sooner than you think. The, notice he says, the night is spent, the day is at hand. That's what verses 11 and 12 are talking about. What day? Verse 12. The day, it is, the day is at hand. The day is at hand. His second coming. The New Testament used, mentions the second coming of Jesus Christ 318 times. Not so that we can fight about pre mill ah post mill Please stop. It was meant to change how you live. It was meant to be a game changer, an awareness constantly that this is not, this is not eternal, this is not most important. It was meant to help you punch out of the cellophane shrink wrap of this world that just sucks you down like this is gonna go on forever and it's not. Like this is the most important thing, and it's not. Like my disappointments and hurts and sorrows here are horrible. They can be awful, but folks, when you understand. What are the analogies about this life? Vapor. Hello, does that last long? Dew on the grass. Flower that withers in the heat. That is what you're experiencing right now. However good it is, it's going to be gone. However bad it is, hallelujah. It's it's not going to. A lifetime of a less than good marriage. A lifetime of loneliness as a single and you want to be married. A lifetime of perhaps difficult relationships. A lifetime of never quite finding that job that you feel like uses all your gifts and you feel appreciated. A lifetime of fill in the blank with childlessness and we're praying for a child and can't get the adoption papers worked in. Whatever it might be, folks, it's a dot in the bigger scheme of eternity. And when you know I've got a bridegroom coming, my biggest problem is solved, I am loved, I am accepted, it changes how you live. Changes it. In a real sense, folks, the New Testament is nothing more than one big save the date. Save the date. Save the date on the refrigerator of your life. Now, to live with this kind of anticipation and preparation and Here's the problem. I just said the New Testament is like one big save the day. Guess what the biggest problem is? You're not, some of you are not going to like this. Because you're like, you always do that. And I will till Jesus strikes me down or comes back. You won't live this way if you're not reading this book. You don't get this kind of anticipation and awareness. Oh, there's an eternity. Oh, this is not the most important. By watching hours of television, by surfing the web, by whatever else it is you're doing while you say, oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. You can't not read the Bible. If you want to live like I'm talking about, you got to read it. And it's the reason he put it together the way he does so that it would help you in your sorrows and your cancer and your rebellious kids and your loss of your job and your, and your, and your, and your, and your. All those things are transformed. Don't hear me saying you don't cry. Don't hear me saying it doesn't hurt. But you are not devastated. You are not undone. You don't curl up in the fetal position and say, I can't go on. You read it and say, oh my goodness, Others have suffered, and here's what kept them going. They looked to Christ. They remembered their biggest problem solved, and they had this save-the-date mentality, save-the-date mentality, save-the-date mentality. As I read this, it just, I lose my orientation. I'm a pastor. I lose it in 24 hours. That's why I got to read it the next day. I don't think, oh, I had a really good time yesterday. Read my Bible for like 45 minutes. Should be good to go for all spring. (laughs) That's how some of you are doing it. You're not good to go for all spring. In 24 hours, there's enough bad emails, something in my own family, something upsetting in the news, something that I've lost perspective and have been sucked back down here and I need it again and I need it again and I need it again and I need it again. And when I get to the end of the year, I don't say, well, I read it. I start over from the beginning and I read it again and I read it again. So this is how I keep that save the date card on the refrigerator of my life oh oh, there it is, oh that's right oh that's right, oh that's right it changes how you live when you know you're loved, it changes how you respond to disappointments, it changes how you respond to people that you think but they should love me I wish they would love me so do I but when they don't how can you go on on your day when you feel most unloved when you know what I'm trying to tell you that Paul was trying to tell us, you can say, oh, but I'm loved. Oh, but I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm chosen. I'm loved. He's preparing a place for me. He's coming back for me. I've got a bridegroom, single ladies. I wish more men would step up. Men, step up. Marry somebody. Birth some babies. Balance the checkbook. Change the oil in a car. That's a real man. You don't need to do extreme sports or lie down in a bed of roaches. Stupid. Stupid. Marry somebody, birth some kids, change the oil, balance the checkbook, lead your family into church. There's a man and we need more of it. But ladies, until he steps up, you're loved. You have a wedding coming. You have a bridegroom. He chose you. He chose you. He loves you. He thinks about you. He's preparing a place for you, 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 you. This changes how you respond to Life, life. But let me give you a third, third way that this kicks in. When you start living with the save the date mentality, you start living and looking like he's coming for you. And here's what I mean by that. Look at verses, look at verse 12. He gives us a therefore. Therefore what? If you believe this and know this, Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That word cast off there in the Greek is a strong word that literally means to reject, to thrust away, to throw off, throw off, throw off. I would put it to you this way. and Well, before I say this, verse 13 gets us there also. In verse 13, when he calls us to walk properly. Oh, I like this. That sounds really just whatever, properly. You know what the Greek word is? Decently, gracefully, elegantly. You thinking wedding with me? Yeah, because you've got a bridegroom coming. You get, and see, here's what I want you to get. And some of you, this could change how you go about your Christian life, maybe for the first time in a way that is not so exhausting. For the believer, casting off the works of darkness, your pursuit of holiness is working on your wedding dress. Get that mindset. Instead of, I need to do more of this, less of that, he's gonna be really mad. You're working on your wedding dress. Now, you may be pushing back and say, but I thought he gave us a robe of righteousness. He did, but you're naked under there. He still wants you to work on something else that goes with that. And you're not, you could have never manufactured the robe of righteousness, but folks, There is a place in scripture for you to put forth effort and your works do matter. And you are not working on a wedding dress, hoping he'll notice you and choose you and say, I'm coming for you. You work on it, not to gain his favor and win his love, but because you already have it. And you say, I don't want to look like this when he shows up. I mean, ladies work on this, right? They don't think, I think I have a dress that'll work. In fact, I'm going to wear one of those T-shirt dresses. Do you remember those? That was one of the worst seasons of female clothing ever. I was living in South Carolina. All these ladies are sewing T-shirt dresses. You just stick some little thing on the end of a man's T-shirt. Worst idea in the world. You look horrible. You look like you have a potato sack on. Oh, but we're comfortable. You're not supposed to be comfortable. You're supposed to be beautiful, Ladies. <laughs> And we need more ladies to know that. We don't have the t-shirt dress, but we got, I shuffle around in men's sweatpants and my brother's t-shirt. Stop it. You'll never be chosen. Stop it. (laughs) I mean, do what you can, girls. If you got shape, I'm not talking about immodesty, but don't. But I digress. (laughs) The point is, the point is, when you've got a date, you start working on a dress. Do you not? And I did, silly me. I didn't realize what a big deal that is. I thought you just went out, looked around, picked it, paid for it, bag it, take it home, hang it, done. Way ahead of the game. Vicky, uh, Lauren and Vicky went out July 2015. Found it. I said, check it up. Oh, we're not done. Found it and then I learned that shop starts working on it. You're just looking at this one, it's not your size. They have to make it. It was ready six months later. Are you kidding me? January 2016 is good. We're still ahead of the game. No, we're not. It's still not done. You bring it home and you put it on. She's like, well, this is all wadded up right here in the middle. And that is not me. And I don't want people to think that's me. That's not my wad. That's the dress. <laughs> this must be fixed. So, oh, and this stuff is sequined and pearls and lace. How do you start cutting on that and have it all end well? This is complicated. And so if you want it altered and tweaked and tucked, that's, you would think for what you paid. Oh, we'll just throw that in there. No. That's hundreds of more dollars. Except that a sweet lady in our church, that's known as Forever and Loves Us, said, "I'll do that." I said, "I'll pray for you." <laughs> she said, "I'll do that for free," and and it wasn't one visit to her house. It wasn't two visits to her house. It was say it, three visits to her house. She put it on. She marked some things up. You leave it with her. She work 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 work. You come back. You put it on. It's still not right. She work 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 work. You come back. You put it on, and finally, it's right. And I don't know of any woman or young lady who would say, I'm losing heart. It's not worth it. Too much time. Too tedious. Too tax-consuming. No. You're working on your wedding dress, so it's worth it. See the analogy? Is the pursuit of holiness hard work? Does it get arduous? Does it feel like, oh, man. Can you imagine trying to sew complicated lace layers of it back together? Right? Not easy. Holiness isn't either. But you have a bridegroom coming. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And you don't have to earn his favor. He loves you. So you say, I'm going to work on the dress. I'm going to work on the dress. He gave me the robe of righteousness, but I'm going to work on the dress. And see, pursuing holiness, casting off the works of darkness, putting on the armor of light is our job. But when you understand he loves you, it also becomes your joy. I want to pursue holiness. I want to work on the dress. I don't want to look like this. Out of love, I want to do this. Now let me turn you one more place since we're on a wedding theme and it is New Testament biblical by the way because this is where this whole thing ends. This whole thing ends up with wedding, reception, lamb supper of the lamb. Go to Revelation 19 and you'll see the dress again. You'll see the dress again that we're to be working on. Go to Revelation 19 beginning in verse six. And oh, by the way, what we're about to read supersedes and trumps whoever ends up in the White House in November, whatever the United Nations may do, whatever laws may begin to be passed in our land and in our world, folks, what we're about to read cannot be stopped. And it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. All of history is moving towards what we are about to read. The Democrats can't screw it up. The Republicans can't screw it up. Independents can't screw it up. No man or woman is going to alter or screw this up. It's happening. Revelation 19, 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. As the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory Wedding for the marriage of the lamb has come. Now see where there is something for us to do. Watch this next phrase. And his wife has made herself ready. And don't stumble and make a mistake there. It's not. And his wife worked so hard and kept the law and and earned his favor that she got chosen. No, he chose you while you were ugly in the T-shirt dress. Enemy, alien, stranger, foul, filthy. But because he chose you, because he loves you, because you had to save the day, because you knew he was coming back, you worked on the dress and prepared yourself out of joy and love and gratitude. And she made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, look at it, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. Do those acts earn them righteousness and forgiveness? Please say loudly, no. No. Even more, no. No. But it pleases him and it gets you ready for the wedding. It pleases him and it gets you ready for the wedding. Between now and when he comes for you, you want to be throwing off the works of darkness and putting on the dress, putting on the dress, putting on the dress. And people get even more excited. We just have a big knee summer wedding. Don't people go nuts when it's a royal wedding? Guess what? This is a royal wedding that's coming, the wedding of all weddings, because it's King Jesus coming for his bride. We had a royal wedding about this time five years ago. Remember that? Did you hear anything about that? Oh, I heard a lot about it. With Prince William and Kate Middleton, April 29th, 2011. Big deal. Westminster Abbey, they had 19 people, 1900 people invited, 8,500 journalists crammed into the city of London. You're going to like this. Three British photographers were chosen who took 327 million photographs. PBS, imagine going through that album. (laughs) PBS says that 2 billion people from over 180 countries saw at least a portion of the ceremony but here's what i want you to understand that pales in comparison to this royal wedding that's coming because the bible tells us every eye will see the start of this every human being if it's six or seven billion i don't know how many it'll be by then is gonna see it and know it doesn't mean that you're all part of the bride so watch it here But you're going to see it and know it and you are going to bow the knee and say Jesus is Lord. But if you don't bow the knee and say it now and trust him now, it'll be too late. You'll still say he's Lord and you'll still watch him celebrate with his bride. You just won't be a part of it. There will be people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation that's part of his bride. No country will be excluded. And there'll be no empty seats. Don't you hate that? It's like the so-and-so's no-show. Great, we paid for that. Don't let that happen this summer. There will be no no no-shows because Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father has given me will come to me and I will lose nothing and will raise them up. Can you see how that would change how you live your Christian life? And, and move past just drudgery, I've got to do better, stop that, start this. I want you to bow your head now as we close, and I want you to think about this. Because there just might be something God wants you to do about this. For sure, if you're here, and you've never understood the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ, oh, please, please step away from religion, which is you trying to keep a list of rules and regulations pressing on you from the outside. And come to Christ, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins and confess that you are a sinner. You know what some of you need to turn from that's even harder sometimes? Turn from your own righteous efforts and say, my righteousness is as filthy rags. It could never earn his favor, it could never get, I need Jesus, I need a savior. But some of you, lots of you, I hope, are Christians already. But it just might be. Do you need to start living with a save the date mentality on the refrigerator of your life? Have you forgotten? He's coming. He loves you. And do you need to shift more towards my pursuit of holiness is working on the dress, working on the dress. It's a joy. So with that, I would say to you. Right now. If God were to point out something and put his finger on your dress and say, what about that? What would it be? Where is it twisted? Where is it wadded up? Where is it smudged? Work on the dress. Not to earn his favor, but because you have it and you want to look your best. If you're sitting here and there's someone you know you haven't forgiven, that's a big smudge on the dress. Let it go. You might be hearing you're, you're guilty of secret sexual sin, whether it's pornography or adultery or living with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Repent. Work on the dress. Work on the dress. Maybe you're hearing you're stealing from your employer, whether with time or as you turn in your expense reports or b- supplies. Maybe you're hearing you're stealing from your parents. You live in their home. Repent. Work on the dress. Work on the dress. Maybe you're here and you are just an unloving, difficult person. And yet you claim to be a Christian. Work on the dress. Say, God, I want to begin to love like you called me to love. Because I know you've loved me. What would God say to you? What would he put his finger on? And again, don't make a mistake. I'm not saying what do you need to work on so that he will choose you, will save you, will forgive you. No, 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 no. Because you are his bride. Oh, God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's not just rules and regulations and lists and laws and commandments at the very heart and center stage of the scriptures from old to new is a glorious giving merciful compassionate long suffering God who sent his son who took on flesh and came to love us and die for us and give himself for us and he's coming back for us oh God Help us to put Jesus back on the center stage of our heart and to focus on Jesus. Help us to make Jesus our focus and may love become our fruit as we work on the dress. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.